0: Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by.
1: good to be with you guys again this weekend. And this is the third and final week of our series that we're calling Home. And just so you know, next weekend, or next week I'll be starting a brand new series and we're calling the series Future Tense. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any tension about the future? I mean, do you have any fear about the future whatsoever? Maybe you do, but here's the thing, you don't have to. You don't have to fear the future. And that's what this series is all about. In fact, this series actually was born out of a few weeks ago when I was just working my way through the New Testament. I came to 1 and 2 Timothy. And I was reading these words that Paul wrote to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter three. But this is what he says, verse one, but mark this. Now, whenever Paul says, but mark this, you probably should pay attention, right? He says, there will be terrible times in the last days. That, that is, this Greek word translated terrible means brutal. It means savage. So let's read it that way. There will be brutal, savage times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. But what really got my attention was verse uh, seven always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And it kind of reminded me of what Paul wrote when he wrote a letter to the church at Rome. We have it in our Bible as Romans chapter one, verse 22. He says this, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And I thought if anything describes our culture and our society, it's that the more and more wise we get, the more enlightened we seem to get, the more we feel like we don't need God. They were actually smarter than God. But I thought the thinking as I was reading through this verse is, what if it is the end? Actually, I think, I think it's kind of cool. I mean, somebody's gotta be around when it all comes tumbling down. How cool would it be to have a front row seat, right? But what if it is the end? Let me ask you a question. What if right now, the Father and the Son are planning on Jesus' return to this earth? How do we prepare, you know? What is it that we need to know? That's what we're gonna be talking about over the next few weeks. And I tell you what, I think of all series that we've had at Hope in a long time, this is be one that you would just wanna get your neighbors, your coworkers, because see they don't even have to come to church, they can just go to gethope.tv. And these are the kind of things we're gonna be talking about. First of all, Is Jesus gonna return? What does the Bible have to say about that? Are there going to be judgments? Are we gonna be judged? Are we gonna stand before God? Are we gonna stand before Jesus? We're gonna talk about is there really a heaven? Is there really a hell? Will a loving God actually send someone to hell? And then we're gonna wrap it up by looking again at 2 Timothy and and asking ourselves this question as Christians, how do we finish strong? I mean, if this is the end of days, how do we finish with the Big Bang? That's really, really what we want. So we're gonna start that series next week. But this week, we're wrapping up our series we're calling Home. And we've been talking in this series about some areas in the Christian life where we should be able to feel this sense of joy, this sense of belonging, this sense of comfort, peace. It's like, you know, th- this is just what it's supposed to be. Out. This is when I'm in my sweet spot. And we've been saying in the series that, you know, that we, home is not necessarily where the heart is, but we've been talking about home really is where the joy is. And so in our series, we talked about how we can experience that kind of joy in our relationship with God. Last week, we talked about regardless of the circumstances that you're going through, how can you experience joy? And I reminded you that Paul wrote about this incredible joy we can have when he was in prison waiting to be beheaded. So in spite of our circumstances, how can we experience joy? This weekend, I wanna wrap up the series by talking about how do we experience it with one another? How do we experience that joy as a church, this sense that we just belong, that we were made for each other, or maybe like that cheesy line from the movie, you complete me, right? How do, how do we complete each other? Now, I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that I absolutely love Hope Community Church. And one of the things I really love about Hope Community Church is that it's a loving church. I cannot tell you, almost every day, whether I'm in Target or Walmart or wherever I am, I run into someone that I meet for the first time that goes to Hope Community Church. And more, than, more often than not, this is what they say, from the first time I walked into the doors, it just felt like home. It felt like a place where I was loved, where I was accepted. There was just this sense of belonging. So I wanna talk this week about how do we make sure we don't lose that as a church. But not only that, these things that we're gonna talk about, you're gonna see how they impact our relationships with one another. Now to do this, I wanna look at rather, it's probably the most familiar story in the Bible. It's a story that many of you are familiar with. I wanna look at the story of the prodigal son. But if you've never uh, heard the story, let me just kinda give you the Reader's Digest version of it. Okay, there's a father, he has two sons. You've heard the story. The young son comes to the father one day and says, I want my share of the inheritance, I want what I'm entitled to. And the father doesn't argue with him, doesn't tell him it's a bad idea, he actually just gives it to him. And, the, and it says the son takes off for a distant land, and there he just squanders his wealth. I mean, he's involved with prostitutes and drugs and alcohol, he's in the clubs. He's just having the time of his life until one day he gets up and he goes to the ATM and there's no more money left in his bank account. And then to make matters worse there's the famine in the land. So there's no jobs, and he ends up working for a farmer, actually slopping the farmer's pigs. I mean, how bad is that for a Jewish young man? He's taking care of these pigs, hoping that they'll leave him something to eat, and maybe while he's sitting, leaning up against a fence post in that pigsty, it says he comes to his senses and he thinks, man, this is stupid. I have a father who has servants. They have a roof over their head, three meals a day. They're living the dream compared to what I'm living. I am going home to the father. He goes home. Uh, He has this speech that he's worked up in his mind that he's going to tell the father, explaining why he's been away and and what happened. But the father just stops him in mid-speech and says, we're going to throw a party. And so they're having a big celebration because the son has returned home. Now the older son's been out working and he drives up in the driveway in his F-150 pickup and he gets out and he hears the band playing and he smells the barbecue and he's like, what's going on? And one of the servants says, we're celebrating Bubba's home. Well, the older brother's not that exactly happy about it and he goes to the father and this is this big conversation, you know, I've never left you, I've never sinned, I've never disobeyed you, you've never thrown a, a party for me, so you've heard the story. But this is what I want you to understand. The reason that Jesus tells this story is because while Jesus was on this earth, I believe that Jesus truly was the most winsome person that has ever walked the earth. I hate the movies on TV that depict Jesus is, he just looks like a stoner. You ever seen those movies? He's just got that Lord gaze in his eyes, right? I think that Jesus was the most charismatic, most winsome person. Everywhere that Jesus went, you know what? Sinners just loved to follow him. They loved hanging out with Jesus. They were totally at home with Jesus. I mean, if you just read the gospels, you, the prostitutes were there, the con artists were there, the drug dealers were there. I guess he probably even news media, they were there. I'm talking really, really bad people, right? And they just feel incredibly comfortable with Jesus. Now here's the problem. The religious leaders of the day, it really bugs them that all of these bad people feel so comfortable with Jesus. They feel so loved and accepted by Jesus. In other words, when they're hanging out with Jesus, they're not feeling guilty. They're not feeling judged. They're not feeling condemned at all. They are feeling right at home. So understand. This is why Jesus is telling this story. It's to let those religious leaders know how God really feels about broken people, how God really feels about sinners, how God really feels about us, how he accepts us, how he loves us, and you're gonna see that in this story. In fact, there are four attitudes that you can find in the story of the prodigal son that I wanna address this, this weekend, and I'll just give you a warning ahead of time. Two of these attitudes we want absolutely nothing to do with, right? We want to avoid them at all costs, and I'll tell you why. First of all, they will destroy, these two attitudes, they will destroy our ability as a church to love people where they are and encourage them to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the first reason. The second is they will destroy our relationships with one another, our interpersonal relationships. So there are a couple of attitudes that we want to avoid, but you're gonna see that there are two attitudes in this story that we want to embrace. These are two attitudes that we want to protect at all costs. So that's what I'm gonna talk about. Let me give you the first attitude in the story. I'll unpack it. It's the attitude of rebellion. You see it right away. Now, obviously, this is an attitude that we wanna reject. Let me show it to you, Luke chapter 15, verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now notice this, not long after that, I'll come back to that phrase in a second. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Now I pointed out that phrase not long after that. Why did I point that out? Well that phrase gives us some insight into the attitude of rebellion. You know what that phrase tells us? It tells us that this son has been planning this. I mean, at some point, he had this thought. If I could just get my hands on my inheritance while I am still young, wow, I could really enjoy it. But if I wait for dad to die, good gracious, he's as healthy as an ox. He might live to 100. By the time I get the money, I won't be able to enjoy it. I won't be able to have any fun. And so he comes up with this idea, this thought, this this plan to make this dream reality. Now, there's a principle here I want you to understand. When you begin to plan sin, you are on your way to rebellion. Let me say that again. When you begin to entertain the thought of sin, and even the process how it might become a reality, I am telling you, you are on your way to rebellion. But you gotta understand, that's how Satan works. See, he plants the thought, he plants the dream, he plants the vision, and that leads to the plan. But it's interesting, if you read the story, you'll see that Satan never mentions the consequences. See, he told him how much fun he was gonna have, but isn't it interesting? Satan didn't mention anything about the pig pen. He didn't mention that at all. And in fact, it's the very very same way that Satan handled his encounter with Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember, God says, listen, you can enjoy the garden, but there's one tree in the middle of the garden, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Stay away from that tree, don't eat of the fruit. If you do, it's not gonna be good. It's not gonna end well. But Satan comes along and says, hmm, God's holding out on you. There's something he doesn't want you to know. And if you eat that tree, you will be like him. You will actually know the difference between good and evil. And and you know what? That part of the story is true. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, they immediately knew that they were naked and they were shamed. And they began to understand the difference between good and evil. They realized they had disobeyed. So Satan told them that and it was true, but he didn't mention the fact that they would be kicked out of the garden. He didn't mention the fact that their relationship with God was going to be severed. He didn't mention the fact that the consequences would be forever passed down to all humanity, but you gotta understand, that's how Satan operates. So for all of us as Christians, we need to recognize those times in our life when Satan is planting that seed, when, when Satan is telling us how we could sin and actually get away with it. Now let me let you in on a secret. You'll never get away with sin. So when you begin to process that thought, when it comes to your mind, you've got to learn to stop it right there. But there's another characteristic of rebellion in this story, and it's interesting, and maybe you've never noticed it before, but it's, it's an attitude of entitlement. Look what the son tells the father. I want you to give me what belongs to me. Well, first of all, let me say this. It didn't belong to the son. It belonged to the father. It actually wasn't even the son's inheritance. It was the father's retirement. But the son says, I want you to give you what belongs to me. You know, when Laura and I were young and married in Southern California, um, we were poor as Adam's house cat. How, it Must've been a pe- poor cat, because they made a saying out of it, right? But we were very poor, but Laura's parents, her dad had worked really, really hard and been really wise with money, and so they had a great, they had a great retirement. And uh, they used to have a lot of fun and go in a lot of places, and they would joke with us, you know, Laura has two other sisters, hey, we're spending, we're spending your inheritance, right? I guess all parents do that at some point. And I remember one time I'm like, hey, it's your money. You worked hard, you ought to enjoy it, you ought to have fun. But then one week they called us and said, hey, we want you guys to come by the house, we wanna show you something. So I pull up and there's a motor home that's about 300 feet long. I mean, it is like blocking nine driveways on the street, right? And I walk in the thing and it's like being at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. And I'm like, man, I told you to have fun, but you're having too much fun. You know what I'm saying? You really are spending all of our inheritance, see? But my point is simply this. When we begin to think that something belongs to us, it's because we feel that we're entitled. But I'm telling you, the attitude of entitlement is an attitude of rebellion. For example, some of you have worked really hard all of your life to get where you are, and you feel like you've earned it. You feel like, you know what, I'm entitled to it, but let me, give you, let, me let you in on something. You actually haven't earned anything. You just need to understand, if you've accomplished anything in this life, the ability, to accomplish it, the brains you needed to accomplish it, the energy that you needed to accomplish it, all of those things were given to you by God. But I'm telling you, when we develop an attitude of ingratitude, when we become ungrateful people, and we think we deserve more than we have, the seed of rebellion has been planted. We have a great staff at Hope Community Church. I would put our church staff up against any church staff in America. God has assembled some incredibly talented people. But every once in a while you get one, you get one. You get the one that's always overworked, always underpaid, and I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm an old curmudgeon, I'm not very empathetic to that. Yeah, I'll tell you why. My first job at a church was in Southern California as a youth minister. They paid me $900 a month. Now I don't care if it was 100 years ago You cannot live in Southern California on $900 a month. And to make matters worse, Laura had to drop out of work because we had just had our first child, Aaron. He had medical issues and Laura had to stay home with him. And so we were gonna somehow survive on $900 a month, but the church board said, listen, if you can just get through this first year, we're, we're, we're gonna get you where you should be next year. Sure enough, we put our head down, God blessed us, we grew an incredible youth ministry. And I got to the end of the year and I went into my review and they said, we are raising your salary from $900 a month to $1,600 a month. I'm like, woo, thank you, Jesus. See, I'm thinking I won the lottery. I'm making almost $20,000 a year. If anybody ever told me that, right? But they said, there is one catch. The only reason we can do this is because the janitor quit. So we're gonna take the $700 that we were paying the janitor and we're gonna add it into your salary, but we need you to be the janitor too. And they had a daycare and a preschool. So every day at five o'clock when the church offices closed, Lars showed up with a little carrier with Aaron in it. And we would go room to room vacuuming and cleaning the toilets and cleaning the preschool. And and then, you know, on Sunday, I might be teaching high school Sunday school class and somebody would put their head in, hey, we're out of toilet paper in the men's bathroom in the sanctuary, right? And you know I mean? I mean, it was just kind of a crazy, crazy job. So that's what I went through coming up in ministry. So I don't have a whole lot of empathy for people who feel overworked and underpaid. But we had one. And I was walking by his office one morning and I noticed his door was open. And I felt really bad for him actually, because I just felt like he probably wasn't in the right role and so I was talking to him and he says, I just think I have so much more to offer. I don't think I'm in the right role. And I said, honestly, you probably aren't in the right role, but this is what I've learned about life. This is the role that you signed on for. This is the role that we have available. And I've just learned in life, sometimes if you're just faithful, I think God teaches this, if you're faithful with the small things, if you're diligent with the small things, God will reward you and he will give you more responsibility. And he said, well, I really appreciate you saying that, but I I just wanna be paid what I'm worth. I said, you can't live on that. You can't live on that, see. It's weird, he's not with us anymore either, but why, but. But when we start thinking we're more than we're worth, okay? When we start thinking that somebody owes us something, I'm telling you, That's the seed of rebelling. You can see it in the prodigal son. He says, give me what belongs to me. Here's the second attitude, the attitude of repentance. Okay, this is one we want to embrace. Look what it says in Luke 15 verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. By the way, if you wanna know what repentance looks like, this is what repentance looks like. He doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't try to justify his actions. He doesn't say, you know, dad, I've been in counseling for a while and now I figured out where you failed me as a father. He doesn't say, mom, put my diapers on too tight. Or you guys never showed up for my little league baseball games. He doesn't do any of that. And by the way, if that describes you, you always have an excuse, you always have a reason, you need to stop that, right? Notice what the son said. He said, "The father, he said, father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, and I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Let me tell you why those three statements are so important. Whether you realize it or not, every time we sin, we sin against three people. We sin against God, we sin against others, and we sin against ourselves. So look what he says. First of all, I sinned against heaven. He was saying, I've sinned against God. And then he says, I've sinned against you, Father. So he sinned against others. And then he's like, I've sinned against myself. I mean, I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. But my point is simply this, he owned it. Listen, when you make excuses for your sin, you're not owning it, see. And what I said last week? Repentance is a complete changing of the mind. It's doing a 180, it's going in one direction to deciding I've changed my mind about sin, I am now going in God's direction. That's why we talked about think differently, live differently. By the way, let me just say something about repentance. Uh, repentance actually can begin when someone gets caught. And I mentioned that because I've heard my whole life and you've probably said, you know what, he's not sorry, he just got caught. You ever said something like that? She's not really sorry, she just got caught. Newsflash, everyone gets caught. Everyone gets caught. For example, in this story, no one actually caught the son doing bad stuff, right? Nobody saw him coming out of a brothel. Nobody saw him passed out drunk in a gutter somewhere. Nobody saw him walking down the street with a crack pipe. None of that stuff happened. But how did he get caught? He got caught by his circumstances. And I point that out because a lot of people, they read this story and they think, man, you know why he went home? He wasn't sorry. He went home because he ran out of money. Well, guess what? That's a great thing. In fact, we should probably pray that for all prodigals. Everybody that's rebelling against God. God, let them hit rock bottom. Let them experience the consequence of their actions so that they can come back home before it's too late. But understand, when you sin, there are always consequences. You can see it right here in the story. Look at verse fifteen of Luke, uh, of verse 14 of Luke 15. After he had spent everything. After he had spent everything. Do you know what that means? It means that the inheritance that he got from his father, the money that was going to carry him into retirement, it is gone. He can't get it back. See, he can't go back to the club owners, he can't go back to the drug dealers, he can't go back to the prostitutes and the bookies and say, hey listen, you guys probably haven't seen me for a few months, you probably didn't realize it, I'm the prodigal son, may have read about me, Luke 15, that's me, and sure enough, guess what? I went home, and it's great, and I gotta tell you, me and dad, were tight. Everything we've passed up is, is phenomenal. Only one problem is, I blew all my money. Would you guys consider giving it back? See, that's not gonna happen. And I mentioned that because we read a story like this and we think there were no consequences to the son's actions. He came home, the father loved him, they celebrated and everybody lived happily ever after. And it's true, it's true, his relationship with the father was restored, but you gotta understand, that money is gone. That inheritance is gone, sin always costs. So I would just recommend this. When you get caught, just repent. Just have an attitude of repentance. And I say that because it's amazing to me, especially in 40 years of pastoring, it's amazing to me how many people get caught and still refuse to repent. If you get caught, just repent. We grew up in Durham little 900 square foot house, one bathroom, there were six of us. And it doesn't, You know, most people don't do that anymore, but now looking back, I don't ever remember it being a problem, six of us somehow learned how to live in a house with one bathroom, right? But it was just, kind. you kind of knew everybody's business. And so one time my little brother, I have a brother that was six years younger, uh, he took a bath and after he finished his bath, my mom's getting up a load of clothes, she's gonna do some laundry. And she said, Tim, I've got your clothes, but where's your underwear? Did you change your underwear, right? And my brother said, yes. And my mom says, well, I need your underwear. I'm getting ready to do the laundry. A few minutes go by and my mom says, where's your underwear? Well, then my dad got involved. See, that's the problem. That was always a problem, because my dad didn't understand this concept of, of time out. He understood the concept of I will wear you out. That's what he, in fact, I told you, my dad used to tell me, I will spank you until your rear end won't hold shut. I have no idea what that means. But I was afraid I was going to be the one kid walking down the hallway in middle school with my butt cheeks just spanking together. I didn't know, so I didn't want to try my dad, right? My brother was not as smart as me. So my dad said, you got three minutes to find that pair of dirty underwear. I'm going to wear you out. Three minutes, he came back and said, where's your dirty underwear? I don't know. Did you change? Yes. Wow! <laughs> wham, 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 wham. You got three minutes, boy. Find that pair of dirty underwear. Three minutes later, he comes back, did you find them? Nope. Did you change? Yes. This went on for like 45 minutes. I'm sitting in the living room, my two sisters are sitting in the living room, the guy that eventually became my brother-in-law is sitting in the living room, and, my, and we're just sitting there saying, please let him repent, please let him repent, because daddy's gonna kill him if he doesn't repent. Please let, it's not worth dying over a pair of dirty underwear. Just tell, you know. My point is, when you get caught, take responsibility and repent for your actions. I'm telling you, it is the first step toward restoring a relationship. Words that can change your life. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Third attitude, the attitude of pride. Again, one we wanna reject, but we see it in the older brother. Remember the older brother? He wasn't excited about baby Bubba being home, right? And so the father's talking to him. He's like, I'm not gonna go into the party. I am not gonna go into that party. And so notice what it says in verse 29 of Luke 15. He asked of the father, look dad, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You gotta understand that is an attitude of pride. By the way, what is pride? Pride is when we look down on other people who have made mistakes and we see ourselves as better. And we have attitudes, have you ever thought, I would never do that? Well, you know what, he deserved it. I would never put myself in that situation. See, that's pride. But here's what I wanna ask you. What's the root of pride? You ever thought about that? What is actually the root of pride? Well, let me give it to you. The root of pride is deception. I can tell you right now, anytime you meet a prideful person, you have officially met a deceived person. See, that person doesn't see themselves as other people see them. A deceived person doesn't see others the way that God sees them. In other words, if, if, you're, if you're a deceived person, you have a skewed perspective. I mean, think about it. This is what the prideful son says. Dad, I have never, ever, not even once, disobeyed you. Not one single time. Now think about this, either this son is Jesus or he doesn't see himself accurately. And we know he's not Jesus because Jesus is telling the story. But again, let's not come down too hard on this, on this kid because every one of us, we've all been in situations where we've said stuff like that. I mean, have you ever in your marriage? You always. I never, you know? I've heard women say, sit in my office. He has never complimented me. We've been married 30 years. And he's never complimented me. And one man said, I told you last week that those jeans don't look as tight on you as they did a month ago. (laughs) I said, there you go, ma'am. You can't say always anymore. Right there, he gave you a compliment. See, see, we have to be really, really careful about saying always and about saying that. But we've all been in situations where we did this. We've all been in a situation where we don't see ourselves as God sees us. We see ourselves as good. We see ourselves as better than other people. We see ourselves as righteous. And I'm telling you, when we see ourselves as righteous, when we kinda get that holier-than-thou attitude, you know what we do? We naturally look down on everybody else. And all of a sudden, in our relationships and in our church, we don't embrace people. You know what we do, we shun people. And all of a sudden, we don't, we don't accept people where they are. You know what we do? We look down on people where they are. But again, that's one of the reasons that I love this church. I think we love people even while they're still in the pig pen, even while they haven't even decided to come back to the Father. They show up here, they're welcomed, they're received, they're loved. It's it's amazing what God can do. But there's a second never in the story. He says, you never even gave me a young goat. You gave my brother half his inheritance. You never even gave me a young goat. See what it says in verse 11? Jesus is telling the story. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, and maybe you've never seen this before, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property, what? Between them. So the older brother got his inheritance, Now remember a few weeks ago I talked about Jacob and Esau and how Jacob ripped off Esau, Esau was the older brother. He got his birthright, which meant Esau got twice the inheritance of what Jacob would have gotten. So in this story, the older brother got two thirds of the father's estate, the younger son only got one third. He got twice as much. So technically, right, you didn't give me one goat. Maybe you gave him hundreds of goats, thousands of goats, which makes me think maybe the story took place in Fuquay, right? But the father says like, what are you talking about? Everything I have is yours. But the son, he overlooks that small detail. And the same thing often happens in our lives as Christians. We, we forget that God gives us everything we have. We forget where we came from. This is a pride buster for me. When I hear someone's life that's unraveling or someone who unfortunately has made a poor choice, this is how God has helped me. God, only by your grace. I can't, because I tell you what, without the grace of God in my life, I could be a wild stallion. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I could be out of control, but because of the grace of God, it's the only reason I get to do what I do. But we have to be careful. If not, we'll develop the attitude of pride. Here's the fourth attitude. It's the attitude of redemption. We wanna embrace this. Look what it says in chapter 15, verse 20. He got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. It's interesting, this Greek word that's used to describe this phrase, he threw his arms around him, is also translated, he fell on him. In fact, it may be translated, he fell on him. Maybe that's what your Bible says. It doesn't say that he threw his arms around him, it says he fell on him. But the literal Greek meaning of this word is this. To violently embrace. He ran to the son and he violently embraced him. Think forcefully. Think bear hug. I have one son, he's a pretty big kid. And sometimes he will just grab me and hug me and pick me up in the air and shake me. I mean, it's, it's that kind of thing that's going on. It's not the normal hug that we give as men. Hey, what's happening, bud, bro? You know? Violent embrace. A few months ago, I was flying back from Dallas. I had a meeting, and uh, I got bumped up to first class. And the best thing about riding in first class is you get to look down on other people that have to walk past you, right? Right. And y'all don't get to do it very often, but I got bumped up to first class. And so I was sitting there, and uh, in walks uh, a young lady uh, in military outfit, her fatigues, and God just just said, "Do it." So I. I said, hey, I wanna trade seats with you. And she said, oh, no, I can't do that. I said, no, just, just, just give me your boarding pass. And so I got up and I'm, I moved just a few rows back actually, in, and I, I gave her my seat in first class, and we flew, and we got back to RDU, and as we were getting off the plane, we were walking out of the terminal, and I could see her kind of stuck out with the, the, the military like I, I could see her up in front of me. And you know how when you walk out of RDU, when you get past the security, that's where the people wait there was a husband. And I think there were three kids. And when they saw that wife and that mom, wow, it was a violent embrace. It was one of the most moving things I've ever seen in my life. That's what this word is talking about. I mean, think about this. When we rebel, God is just waiting for us to return. And when he sees us, he, he, he runs to us and he, he violently embraces us with affection. I mean, think about this. I don't care where we've been. I don't care what kind of pig pen we've been hanging out in. If we will just, if we'll just turn to him, he's gonna run to us. Let me tell you one more thing about the story of the prodigal that maybe you didn't know. This story that Jesus told wasn't original with him. There was actually an original version of this story that was part of the Jewish culture in the day of Jesus. And it went like this. There was a father that had two sons. One day the younger son came in and said, I want my share of the inheritance. The father gave him the inheritance. He went off to a distant land. He squandered all of his money with wild living. He finally came to his senses and he came back home. But when the son returned home, in the original version of the story, the father doesn't welcome him home. Instead, the father takes him before the entire town. And the father tells the entire town, all the residents, what his son has done. He lists all of his sins, and the father publicly rejects the son. He makes a public spectacle of him. And in the story, the original story, the people in the town, they throw a party for the father, and they praise and they celebrate the father Because from their Jewish perspective, the father represented the justice of God. That's how the story ended. And so when Jesus is telling this story, you have to imagine what the religious leaders are thinking. Because they're very uncomfortable with the fact that these sinners love hanging around Jesus. So you you know what they're thinking. They're thinking, oh wow, we know where he's going with this. We know how this is going to end. They're thinking, he's gonna tell these sinners that are hanging around with him that one day, you know what, you can hang around me all you want to, one day you're gonna be rejected by the Father. He's telling them you can kiss up to me all you want to, but I know what your hearts are really like. And one day you're gonna stand before God and he's gonna reveal what's really going on and God is going to make a public spectacle of you. And I'm sure that these religious leaders, they can't wait to see the look on these sinners' faces to see how they're gonna respond when Jesus enlightens them on how God is going to judge them. But yet when Jesus got to this part of the story, he just throws them that curve. And he tells these religious leaders that the father ran to the son and he forgave the son and he violently embraced him and welcomed him home. In other words, It's not a story of God's judgment and his justice. It's a story of God's mercy. Now, you need to know this. God is merciful, but God is still just. In fact, in this next series, Future Tense, I'll spend spend a weekend talking about how do you balance the justice and the mercy of God. But here's the question. How can God be merciful to us, and yet at the same time be a just God? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because God took his own son and he put all of our sins on him as he hung on the cross. In other words, God made a public spectacle of him. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Hebrews 12, 2, the joy. That's what we're talking about in this series. For the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. You know what the word scorning is also translated in the Greek? Despising. Think about that. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. You know what that means? Jesus hated the idea of being a public spectacle then why did he do it? Well, it tells us. He did it for the potential joy of us being home. Of us being home. He did it so that when we turned toward him, he could just run to us. You need to know this. God loves you. Ah, oh, He loves you. Head over hills, he loves you. Doesn't care where you've been. Doesn't care how dirty you've gotten. He just loves you. And you know what? I love that we have that attitude of at Hope. I love that we love people where they are. And you know what? We're a hurting nation right now. There's a lot of our brothers and sisters that are hurting right now. As I said before, for the body of Christ, when we rejoice, we rejoice together. But when we hurt, we suffer, we suffer together. And I would just say like never before, let's come along people, let's love them where they are, let's encourage them in all we can to be like Jesus. I don't ever, ever want us to lose that. But see, that's not something you can put in church bylaws or constitution. That's just something that comes from our heart. I'm gonna ask you to bow. What is God saying to you this week? You know, every one of us have at some time had all four of these attitudes. Let's be honest, we've all been rebellious in some area of our life. We've all been repentant, we've all been prideful, and I'm guessing at times we've all been redemptive. So what is God saying to you? You know, maybe you're listening this weekend and you're actually in the process of planning to sin. You know what God is saying to you right now? He's saying, please, please don't do that. There will be consequences if you do, and God isn't going to reject you. But there will be consequences. And sometimes those consequences or irreversible guys saying, please don't do that. Maybe as you think about the story of the prodigal son, you, you fall more into the category of the older brother and you have a tendency to be judgmental and to write people off. Let me just ask, is there somebody in your life that you've written off that would love to return home? Would love to enter back into a relationship with you and they would actually turn towards you if they thought you would welcome them. Maybe you're the one that's been prodigal. I promise you this, if you turn to God, he will run to you, he will run to you. By the way, do you know why the father saw him when he was a long way off? It's because it's my guess, he walked down to the end of the driveway every day and looked, hoping that that day would be the day and finally, one day, he saw the gaunt silhouette of his son. He knew by the way he walked that it was his son. I tell you, he's just looking and waiting. And when you decide you want to come home to the father, he will violently embrace you and welcome you home. Father, we thank you for this timeless story. We are so honored to love and worship a God who's not looking for every opportunity to judge us. We just saw an origin story, how for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries, you, because of your grace and mercy, compassion, you encouraged Israel to return, you were, but finally, you had no choice. And the Father, I think that your mercies are renewed every morning and your faithfulness is great. I pray that we would identify ourselves in this time of a story and then, Father, we would do something about it. If it's pride, bring us back to the altar. If it's rebellion, bring us back to the altar. If it's a reluctance to forgive and be redemptive in nature, bring us back to the altar. But whatever it is, Father, Bring us into that security of that relationship with you where we can crawl up on your lap and call Abba, Daddy. And talk about what's going on. We love you because you're that kind of God. We give you the glory for what you're gonna do in our all of our lives, made possible through what your son did for us on the cross. In his holy name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to The Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.